are listening to Footprints on Our Hearts, a podcast about baby loss, legacy, and learning to live again with me, Alison Ingleby. The baby loss community is one that no one wants to join, but together we can break the silence around baby loss and help each other navigate the rocky road that is grief, because all children leave footprints on our hearts. and welcome to episode 34 of Footprints on Our Hearts. Today I've got an interview with Lee, whose daughter Winry was sadly stillborn just a few months ago during the height of lockdown um, during the COVID-19 pandemic in Canada. And we talk a lot in um, this interview about the impact of the pandemic on both on Lee's antenatal care and the experiences that she feels she missed out on in terms of being able to enjoy her pregnancy. And then also in terms of the care she received around Winry, the impact of the pandemic on, you know, grief and loneliness. And it was really interesting to hear an experience from outside the UK in terms of how baby loss is considered in Canada and also what the impact of the pandemic has has been over there. Because I don't know about you, but, you know, so much of our news is focused on what what's happening in this country that we often don't realise what, you know, what the impacts are in different countries around the world. So really grateful to Lee for talking to me so soon after Winry's death and I hope you enjoyed that episode. Just before we get into it I wanted to update you on a couple of things. So firstly you may have noticed that I released an additional episode yesterday. It's a bit of an in-between episode <laughs> so it's not a full episode and interview but I wanted to give an update in terms of my current rainbow pregnancy. Um, I did a solo show on this a few weeks ago and I had quite a few people message me saying that they really appreciated that and they found it useful to listen to. So I wanted to give a bit of an update but also discuss some of the recent guidance that's come out from NHS England and what's happening really in terms of coronavirus restrictions being eased or not being eased at hospitals around the country and how that's affecting different people in terms of pregnancy. So, you know, visitors, uh, partners being able to attend scans and around the birth and that kind of thing. So I thought it would probably turn into too long an intro. And also I wanted to kind of keep it a bit separate because I know not everyone listening wants to, you know, hear about pregnancies, even if they are rainbow pregnancies. So if you're interested in getting an update on my situation, talking about birth, Um, birth planning, managing anxiety in the sort of third trimester of pregnancy and also um, a bit of a talk about coronavirus restrictions and advocating for, you know, for either exemptions for yourself and your partner um, or, you know, special consideration given your experience of baby loss. Um, I talk about all of that in um, episode 33B, which you can download now. I also this week published my September Patreon post, which is all about making memories, both at the time your child dies and at a later date. So I talk a bit about my own experience regarding this um, and 
I guess the the sort of grief I felt, maybe a bit of shame in terms of not having spent more time with Skye after she was born and not being able to make some of those memories and have some of those experiences that I know other people have had. And I think one of the things that I found useful is um, sort of in the aftermath of that is thinking about other ways at which, you know, I could make memories with her. Um, after, you know, after we said goodbye to her and after the funeral and how, you know, we keep her in our lives. So I've given some ideas for that as well. And it's available as an audio download or a blog post to all of my Patreon supporters. So I have now updated the benefits um, on the different tiers which I have on Patreon. So all supporters at any tier get access to my Patreon posts and bonus audio. And at the moment, I'm doing monthly posts. At some point, I hope to be able to increase the frequency of of those to maybe twice a month. Um, And also lots of updates on Patreon this week. So if you support at the baby loss supporter or baby loss advocate level, you can also have your baby's name added to my book of remembrance, which is now live on the podcast website. And I'm planning to do something during baby loss awareness week to remember the babies who are listed um, in the book of remembrance. Um, I would love to give a big, massive shout out to my latest Patreon supporter, Joanna, um, and in fact, to all my supporters on Patreon for helping me keep the podcast going. I really can't emphasize how much I appreciate it and feel really kind of humble and honored, humbled and honored that um, you're helping me create this podcast and put all this content out there to help other people in the baby loss community. I am really, really close (laughs) to hitting my first goal on Patreon, which was to cover the monthly costs of hosting and recording the podcast. And my next goal after that is quite a big one, which is to be able to pay an editor to help with some of the editing work. And that will mean that I can definitely continue to put out weekly episodes. Um, At the moment, I'm very much reliant on volunteers for the next couple of months, which and I hugely appreciate my volunteers, but, um, you know, I can't keep asking people to do this for free forever. So um, being able to pay an editor to help with that will mean I can continue to put out weekly episodes and it will also free up more of my time to produce additional content, do um, more sort of special benefits for Patreon supporters and to do more to help the baby loss community. So if you'd like to help, you can support the podcast from just a couple of pounds a month. You can go to patreon.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash footprints on our hearts to check out the different levels of support and benefits you can get. And of course, you can also help support the podcast by leaving a nice review or rating on your podcast app and by spreading the word and letting other people know about it. So a huge thank you to everyone who supports the podcast in you know whatever way you are able to. I really appreciate it. And without further ado, let's get into this week's interview. Today, I'm joined on the podcast by Lee, whose daughter Winry was stillborn just a few months ago at the height of her area's COVID-19 outbreak in Canada. Thank you so much for coming on to the show, Lee, and for being my first Canadian guest. 
Yeah, thanks. Uh, <laughs> thanks. Thanks for having me. Um, I'll apologize to any UK listeners um, for my what my great aunt calls my atrocious Canadian accent. But <laughs> I mean, I'm um, terrible accents, but it sounds great to me. So. Oh well, thank you, thank you. Um, <laughs> I was, I'm I'm uh, originally from Jersey in the Channel Islands, and a couple of years ago we went back to visit, and I saw my great aunt there, and at one point in time. We were trying to set up when we would meet. And she's just like, I'm sorry, I, I can't understand your accent. And just like <laughs> handed the phone off to her son. And yeah, it was quite funny. So <laughs> It's a lovely accent. Oh, well, thanks. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, we're going to talk obviously a lot about when we today, but let's yeah. go right back to the beginning. And when did you begin to think about starting a family? And what was your journey to getting pregnant like? So... When I was when I was younger, and I'll I'll preface this, I'm I'm thirty I'm thirty eight right now, uh, and uh, my age does play somewhat into the story, which is why I bring that mm-hmm. up. So when I was quite a bit younger, I always thought that having kids would be something that I would want. I'm from a very I'm from a very big kind of complicated blended family. I've got half siblings, I've got adopted siblings and foster siblings and bio- and full biological siblings as well. So, um very used to having lots of people around and and I don't think I could ever really at that time never really had it in my head that I wouldn't have kids. Um, because it was just what was normal for me, right? There's like a billion of us. Um, but then, uh, as I started, as I started to get a bit older and, um, started going to school, my first round of school was actually in, in theater. And I went when I was fairly young, um, post-secondary and, um, it, it stirred up a lot of controversy in me and I, I was no longer sure. I, I, Basically, I needed to figure out if I felt like I was enough by myself and if my life was going to be the way that I wanted it to, whether or not I ended up having kids. Um, there, Yeah, so it, it, gets, it gets a little bit messy um, because this is now uh, quite a long time ago. Um, theater school is actually where I met my partner that we're now married to. So, uh, and it, it kind of, kind of went from there. So I went around like for quite a few years and we were both so, we were both so young, uh, that we, when we got married, um, it just sort of got put on, put on the back burner because I had other things going on after, after, um, a couple years out of theater school, that wasn't what I wanted to do anymore. So I went to university and I got, um, I got a different degree and uh, then worked in that field for a couple of years and then decided that wasn't what I wanted to do anymore. So I ended up going and getting my master's and it just like everything was going on. This is also during, uh, you know, in 2008, we had the big worldwide recession and um, my partner was out of work for a couple of years and it, it was, it was a point in time when everything was just so tumultuous and everything was just not going I, not that anything ever goes right, but it, it just, it was so messy. Um, so when I, when I turned 30, I, that was when I was really like, okay, you gotta get your head together and actually decide whether or not this is a thing for you because I, you know, it, <laughs> clock, clock is ticking, you know, all, all that good stuff. Um, so I ended up going to therapy, um, by myself initially, 
And through that process, a lot of stuff came up from when I was younger. Um, a lot of the ways that I was coping with things at the time weren't productive and they were quite, they were quite unhealthy. Um, the end, <laughs> the end result of it is that, uh, in the end, I came out as trans, so I'm I'm non-binary and uh and I use they them pronouns, and it all just sort of it was just this big thing. And then Nelson also was having some health, like physical health and also mental health issues at the time, um, and we'd kind of gotten to a place in our relationship where kids was a contentious issue, but it was sort of this line that we draw to do in the sand and we like skirmished back and forth on it, and I I got to a place where I think it was about 34, um, where I was like, okay, like this is something that Nelson and I are just going to keep fighting around and maybe it's not going to happen. Maybe it is. We'll see. The, the thing that brought it all to a head was that, um, some good friends of ours, um, got pregnant and it felt like my world came crashing down. Uh, and like really being confronted with that, um, forced me to ask myself some hard questions about like, what is, is this a deal breaker basically? Um, and, uh, it was, um, so that's, that's what I took to Nelson. And unfortunately Nelson at the time decided it was a deal breaker for him too. And he didn't want kids. Um, so that was, that was really sad. Uh, and we went through, we went through a period of, um, close, close to a year where we were working on dissolving our relationship and, and trying to figure out how that was going to work. Cause by that point in time, we'd been together, like we, we'd known each other for 15 years and we'd been married for 10. Um, uh, yeah. And I sort of threw myself into being a friend to these people and trying to help with their pregnancy. Cause I thought it was something that was never going to happen for me. Um, and the big thing that then happened after that is that Nelson had um, Nelson had a really big crisis, and we we almost lost him, um, and it was really sad and very frightening. Um, and then after that, we both went to therapy. I don't know if you guys are into therapy uh, in the UK, but uh, here in in this house, we do a lot of therapy. Um, so uh, through through that process, we worked through a bunch of different stuff and fundamentally figured out we both really still loved each other. And you know, we were at this impasse over kids, but was was there anything that we could? could work out. And, uh, I, I remember this quite clearly because we were sitting in my therapist's office and my therapist was insisting that I, and Nelson was there too. We were both there. Uh, and, and the therapist was insisting that I try and like, basically like make my arguments for, for why I wanted to have kids. And I was very resistant to this idea because I was like, well, if Nelson doesn't want to have kids, if I have to run around convincing him, that's not really fair on potential future children that I had to cajole him into doing this. Um, uh, but what it, what, what ended up happening is that, um, uh, I, I said, Nelson, Nelson told me that I said this. Nelson said, um, don't you want to meet our daughter? And it ended up being kind of prophetic. And, and according to him, that's, that was the beginning of him changing his mind. Uh, and it took, it took another two years 
before we felt like we were uh, secure enough to to try. Uh, it took uh, it took another al- almost a year to to get pregnant with mm-hmm. Winry, um, and that's uh, and that's where we are. Wow. Oh, I'm so glad I asked that question because, you know, I I often start off with it and, and, you know, you get a lot of, you've got a lot of people on here who are just like, oh, well, I always knew I wanted to be a mum and it was, you know, always coming along and then, you know, maybe met their um, husband or wife or whoever it was quite, quite early. And Mm. then, and then sort of things happened or didn't happen if they had fertility issues, etc. But I think you had such a, I mean, such a roller coaster journey, but such a fascinating um, personal (laughs) journey. Yeah, messy coming up to it. And, you know, I mean, my, my journey was nowhere near as messy as yours. But you know, I, I was not in a position to start thinking about children until my mid thirties as well. And, you know, I started off, I was in a secondary school and, or was it primary school? And they get you to write down, you know, what your life's going to be like in 15 oh, years. God, I was like, right? language yeah. married by 25 and then I'll have my first child at 30. <laughs> and, you know, and I, you know, I was in a relationship when I was 25, which I thought might, you know, might go that way. And it didn't. And, I got mm-hmm. to 30 and I was like, I don't even have a boyfriend. What, you know, yeah. what is my future going to look like? Um, yeah, because I didn't I didn't meet my husband until I was 30. Um, so yeah, it's it's really fascinating. And how and I think that does then play into your experience of pregnancy and mm-hmm. how you approach it and and you know your whole kind of attitude to motherhood I think so thank you for sharing that with us no for sure it's um yeah it was it was such a a strange like if I if I look back you know on on when we got married it's it's such a strange place to have to have ended up ended up in now um yeah no for sure and I think it, you know, perhaps it is testament to to therapy but I think it's a <laughs> you know it's amazing that you have both been through all those incredibly challenging times and are still are still together and still love each other yeah I um, mean I I think it's I think it's important um it's something we both try and talk about a lot even just in in our circle of mm -hmm. friends is that you know it was it was a close call we 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 literally like started splitting up our lives Mm -hmm. and if uh, if things had gone differently, um, we either wouldn't be together or we might have lost Nelson. And, you know, we ended up back in therapy together, but there was no guarantees there. That was that was an attempt mostly to get to get Nelson healthy again. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, it's it took us it took us a long time to to get to to get to where we wanted to, we wanted to meet our baby so, yeah. so badly. Yeah. yeah. And so how, and how did your um, pregnancy go? Let, let's talk about the kind of the pre-pandemic yeah. period to begin with. Yes, pre, um, pre-pandemic. Before, before the whole world started changing. How, yeah. How was your pregnancy? Over, overall, not bad. Um, I was, you know, I was pretty sick, um, but like not not that sick. So you know, I, I unfortunately like got morning sickness pretty early, and never really, never really got out of it. Never got that honeymoon phase that some folks get, uh, where they feel pretty good in the middle, and then I got pretty sick again towards the end. Um, she was a a very um, 
she was a very feisty, uh, but stubborn baby. Um, at my first prenatal appointment, um, they couldn't, they couldn't find a heartbeat. And the, the doctor's like, um, well, you know, uh, you need to go in for a scan. And, um, because and but but they were doing that thing that they do where they're like oh but you know they're so little sometimes they hide they might be hiding behind your your pubic bone or like this something and I've never been pregnant before I have no experience with this so I'm sitting there being like okay it's pretty weird <laughs> like on on one hand you're saying all of these things about how nothing is wrong and yet you're like insisting that I go for this scan like right now so I'm like I don't know what's happening um yeah, so shows she hid then, but then she was, but then like we saw her on the scan, and I remember, like, I've actually I've still got a video of it. Um, she's just like giving her, just moving around, just so crazy. <laughs> I remember sitting there thinking, like, how can I not feel that? Like, <laughs> because I think I was only, I think I was only like 13, 14 weeks at that point in time. Um, the the standard of care uh, in in Alberta is that you go for a scan, a, what we call a dating scan, like pretty early. It's normally somewhere around eight weeks. Uh, then you'll have a nuchal scan somewhere around eleven weeks, where they look at the look at the spinal cord, and then you get your detailed anatomy scan at twenty weeks. Mm-hmm. So those are those are very very normal scans. Basically, everybody gets those unless they like you're having multiples, so they find something that's up. Um, and I ended up getting scans. Like it felt like almost constantly because um, I had the one where she hid, and then at the twenty-week scan, they decided they found out that my placenta was sitting uh, at a low. sitting too low, mm-hmm. not definitely low. Like it, it wasn't. Oh, you're, this is definitely going to be a C-section situation. But they they wanted to monitor it, and so then I was in every every four weeks to look at the stupid placenta and where it was, and um, yeah. Uh, we had one scare at around like 27 weeks again, where I got some really horrific cramping um, and they were worried that something was up. But again, they went in, she was fine. Um, and our our last scan was at 34 weeks. Uh, everything was looking, was looking great. The placenta had moved out of the way. So I was, so I was allowed, they, they, they were still like, well, you know, you may end up having to have a C-section, but it's out of the way. So at least you're allowed to go into labor like that, which was like, had been the big concern. Um, yeah. And so she was just this like stubborn stubborn little thing who was always uh always needed to be always needed to be on camera constantly the center of attention yeah so, and very active and I think yeah. you're, pretty, you're a pretty active person as well aren't I you? am I think your Instagram yeah. so she obviously yeah. takes after you and did yeah. how how did you because I I mean I'm generally a fairly active person as well but how did you find your pregnancy impacted on kind of I guess your exercise your ability to do exercise and how did you kind of feel about that I uh, so so when I got pregnant I was very determined I'm like okay I can't I don't want to quit exercising like it's it's important to me that we keep doing this and that it's something that you know she and I do together and um uh most for for the most part it was okay there were two things that ended up being quite limiting and they were not things that I thought were going to be they were things that caught me completely off guard it's funny I'm a I'm a physiotherapist by background and then before that my background's also in in exercise and physiology um so you know going into this I 
knew more than your average person about it and still ended up feeling like a total, total idiot about uh, pregnancy and exercise. Um, but it was, uh, it, so I kept running. I think the last time that I ran, I was, and I'm going to put ran in air quotes, uh, was when I was 36 weeks pregnant. Um, and it, wow, that's impressive. <laughs> the thing was, it was never, I was expecting it to to be difficult to run because I was going to be heavier and my pelvis Mm -hmm. was going to hurt and like didn't have ab strength to hold me up and all that stuff. And none of that was the problem. It was just whatever, uh, it was just on the given day, uh, if she was sitting on my bladder or not. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And and if she was sitting on my bladder, I couldn't do a thing. Like I would try and like walk and wiggle, be like, no, this is, I, I cannot do this. And if she was in a good spot, um, then I'd be fine. <laughs> so mm. it was quite funny. Uh, and then the the other thing that really caught me off, I got quite um, a severe carpal tunnel in both of my hands. Um, and actually the, the thumb index and um, middle finger on both hands is actually still, still quite numb. Um, coming up on, coming up on four months now. Um, but yeah, but my wrists were really sore. So, um, couldn't do much weightlifting mm. either. So by the end, it was mostly, uh, mostly walking and sitting on my stability ball was, uh, was my exercise. To be fair, I think by the end, most people look like, if they're waddling, they're doing, yeah. you know, they yeah, think they're exactly. doing okay. So. Oh man. Oh, those yeah. last, those last couple of weeks were, uh, were pretty, were pretty tough on, on me. Yeah. Yeah. So let's come on to the impact of coronavirus. And so uh, we're I'm in the UK, obviously, and you know we see glimpses on the news about what's going on in different places of the world. But certainly, right. it was very focused on the UK at that point. So sure. what was happening in Canada? When did things start to hit, and, and what was what was the approach your government taken, and what was the impact of that? We probably, I think, I think in Alberta, in Edmonton specifically, I'm pretty sure we got our first case um, in the middle of February. And I know that I'm pretty sure it's either the middle of February, or the beginning of March. Um, I actually work for um, our, our health authority. So was maybe a bit more plugged into uh, some of the things that were going on than some other people were. Um, and relatively quickly, uh, things got things that I work on directly anyway uh, got shut down. Um, so we were we are I am lucky that the division that I work with um, we all got sent to work from home. Um, the school that I do because I'm working on my PhD and at the time um, I was in the middle of studying for my candidacy uh, and I and actually actually sat my I sat my or I wrote my I wrote my candidacy um, when I was 33 weeks pregnant and I wow. and I and I sat I sat my oral candidacy exam when I was 30 when I was just about 30 just about 36 weeks pregnant um, and I passed <laughs> Sorry. Congratulations. Thank you. Nothing like doing everything at once. (laughs) Uh, It's, uh, you know, it's, uh, (laughs) I didn't, I, I did, I did plan it that way. Um, unfortunately, sort of. Yeah, it's a it's a bit messy, but every um, but in terms of the pandemic, things had a really because of like the school that I do uh, and because of the work that I do had a very direct impact on both my job, the way that I do my job. And then also um, my research area as well, because my research area is in elective surgery and that got shut down right away as well. So 
very quickly, um, I was working, I was working at home and I was pretty much by myself almost all of the time. Um, yeah. And I, I think, and I was, and I've started my leave early in order to do my, my candidacy exam. Cause there was no point in going back to work. I was so close to the end anyway, and I'm quite lucky that I had enough leave that I could go early and it wasn't going to, wasn't going to affect anything. Um, so yeah, like things got shut down really fast. Um, I had a couple pre, a couple of my prenatal appointments where you're supposed to go in and they do all, do all like the measuring and the blood pressure and all that stuff, um, were turned into phone, uh, phone conversations. Um, Nelson was was off work at the time and uh, had been coming to my appointments with me, but very quickly that wasn't a thing anymore. He wasn't allowed to come to appointments. I had to go by myself. Um, yeah, it was a. Uh, it really felt every time I went into the the doctor's office, getting close to the end, because by the time I was about thirty five weeks pregnant, things were still ramping up, uh, and we were we were right right in the middle of what currently has been, has been the height of, uh, what's going on there. And, um, yeah, I mean, I was initially, uh, we, we jumped on the mask, um, bandwagon pretty quick, uh, in our house. And so has most of the city, um, the doctors were all masked, uh, and there was just this big feeling of panic in the office. Like you could kind of feel the, feel the tension in the air. Um, and because I was considered low risk, um, by the end, it felt quite difficult to get anybody's attention. Um, like I would go in and they're like, oh yeah, no, fine. Baby's moving. Yes. Blood pressure. Okay, good. Still, still not dilated. Okay. Go home, come back in a week. And I, I remember leaving the doctor's office like once or twice being like kind of uncomfortable because mm-hmm. I didn't feel, I didn't feel like I had, as I said, had, had had their attention. Um, oh, and we had been attending, um, prenatal classes at our, the hospital where, uh, where we were going to and where we did, uh, give birth. Um, and those all got shut down too. I think that we got halfway through, um, and, and then that got shut down and we, we weren't allowed to go in there anymore. Um, so there was this big feeling of, of sort of isolation, um, really, really quickly off, off the top, um, and definitely contributed to a feeling of anxiety in, in myself, uh, not so much in, in Nelson. Cause he, uh, he is basically my professional calmer downer, uh, <laughs> but, I, but yeah, and I, and I really started to worry, um, that Nelson wasn't going to be allowed to come with me to the hospital. Um, cause I, that, that's a thing that happened in some areas, uh, in the States that were really hard hit, but it's, it's never been anything like that in, in Canada. Um, so that ended up not being a thing, but like, I had all these concerns in my head about, you know, no one's going to be allowed to come to the hospital and they weren't. And, you know, um, poor, poor Winry, her baby shower got, got canceled. Um, like the, you know, it, it seems like a dumb thing to complain about, but, but Sometimes I feel like she's the baby that got that that got forgotten and got nothing. Like she didn't get a baby shower, and and her her grandparents didn't uh, didn't come out at the end like they were going to. And um, you know nobody nobody saw me for the last you know three four three four weeks of of my pregnancy. Um, and it's uh, 
it was really, it was really sad. It, it's still, it's still upsetting. Um, Mm. and yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I guess, I guess even more so given what happened, because you didn't even get the, the, those fun bits, the joy of that, you know, those final kind of months of pregnancy. And I think it sounds quite like it was quite similar to here in the UK in terms of, so for example, now quite a few months on, Antenate, a lot of antenatal classes have moved online so that right. you know they're doing it via zoom but in those it was those initial kind of couple of months when as you say everything was kind of panic stations and I think things were being cancelled as a precaution mm-hmm. and they hadn't got to the stage where they'd figured out these new ways of working exactly. to kind of yeah. manage yeah to manage it longer term yeah and that must have been incredibly difficult to have been caught in all that confusion plus all the the worry because again at that point it was you know all these statistics were up in the air and you're like does this affect pregnant women does it not affect pregnant women what you know what's going on around us I know nothing I've never been pregnant before and no one has ever been in a pandemic before and no one knows what's going on and um and be you know being a first time mom about to to give birth is anxiety inducing enough as it is yeah um, and it's, it, and it's it's one of it's one of the things that i think is going to bother me for uh, for as long as i can mm-hmm. conceivably think about right now is the fact that i was anxious and i was worried um but also had been getting I've been getting a lot of messages you know, from the, and not, not like them telling me, but like just the attitudes and everything around being a first time parent um, and, you know, being in the clinic and and feeling dismissed and, and, you know, just told to go away and come back, you know, um, week after week um, is, is the fact that I was worried, but, it, but it all got minimized, you know, and, mm-hmm. and when I would, when I would, um, voice concerns about like what was going to happen. What was the, I got, I got told that I was borrowing trouble. Like, and, and so then by, by the time, you know, we get to, we get to, you know, my, the last time that I was in, uh, in the office, um, was 39 plus two days. And again, they're like, yeah, no, everything's fine. Um, come back in a week, you know? And, and I remember sitting there being like, oh, Oh, okay. I mean, I, I don't have, I didn't have a reason exactly for, for them to, to do anything. You know, I, I don't think that if they had looked at me, they would have found anything that would clinically indicate them inducing me. But I had, but I had this, this feeling that, that things weren't good. Um, I, I did, I remember, I remember they asked me, um, like, is the baby moving? And I said, and I said, yeah, well, like it's different. And they were like, okay, yeah, no, that makes sense. They just sort of brushed over that. And, and I don't, I don't remember what I meant by saying that the baby's moving differently. And it's one of those things, right. That because, because she died, I spend my time thinking back on those last couple days in, you know, through, through the lens of, through the lens of losing her. And so was, was there something that, that ended up happening? I, 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 do, I don't know. I can't, I can't know. Of course, right now I look at it and it feels like I should have done something. It, it feels like I should have known. Um, but, um, but I didn't. 
Yeah, and I think you do. You you just look for, you just look for all those things that those touch points that could have been different, or you know, and and sometimes you wonder if you know, did I actually think that, or was, or am I just making that up yeah. now, looking back, thinking yeah, that because because like, I. Because of course I was, as of course I was anxious. There was a pandemic going on, and I have never been pregnant or given birth before. Of course I was anxious and upset, and and I, I think back particularly on that on that last on that last weekend, and and even like the the last week leading up to it, because there'd been this this pattern that had started emerging where I'd like have two or three good days, and then I would just be like on my like then then I just be like laid out on the couch, like having to rest for a day. And, um, the appointment, my last appointment was on a Wednesday and then like Thursday, Friday, Saturday were all really good days. And so I'd been like, we were like puttering around the house and like getting the final things done. And Nelson was nesting so hard. It was the most adorable thing that you've ever seen. Like he, he, like he made us, he made us fold, fold and sort all the clothes that we'd been given. And, um, he had like, uh, he cleared a cup, he cleared a shelf in the kitchen. Cause that was where the baby stuff was going to go for like bowls <laughs> a <new kid. laughs> and, and a baby can't eat solid food but no but we had to have a shelf for the bulls and and like he he like had packed and repacked his hospital bag and my hospital bag and it was you know and he's just bringing me snacks and and stuff is yeah and it was it was a really it's a really good like a couple days of of like really positive, warm, warm memories that we have. But then, uh, on the last Sunday, this is the part that bothers me. The last Sunday I had one of those days where I was like, uh, yeah, okay, you're tired. And it made sense to me because I'd been doing a lot for the last two days. And I'd been like, I remember, and, and it, it, I was like, yeah, no, you're tired. Oh, we're just going to have to take it easy today. And, and I remember, I, I remember the Saturday night, um, she was moving so much. Like it was just incredible. Like the, the gymnastics that she was going through. And then uh, on the Sunday I'd noticed she wasn't moving as much. And I said something to Nelson and he was like, yeah, well, you know, she does this. It's, this is the pattern. This is the thing she does. And he was right. It was, it was a thing that she did. And then, um, then on that night she didn't do, she didn't do her dance um, that I was used to. Um, but then I was in labor and, uh, so that, that never really ended up getting a resolution. Um, I went into labor that night. Uh, we went into the hospital that morning, uh, on the Monday morning. Uh, and that was when they couldn't find her heartbeat. Wow. So, okay. So you went into labor on the, the Sunday night. So you were feeling late. Sun, sort of, yeah. Late. Sun, like, yeah. Yeah. Um, so I guess you, you know, and you were ready for this. I mean, you were pretty much bang on your due date. Or, I went you know, into labor officially pretty yeah. much on my due date. She's World on time. Organized baby. <laughs> yeah, yes. Totally. So, yeah. So, so I guess, yeah, you were, you were focused on that. And um, did you just kind of spend that night sort of waiting, seeing how things going before you call the hospital or? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. We live, uh, we live seven blocks for the hospital. Um, so mm-hmm. there's the, you just, um, 
you can just go to the yeah. to the labor unit and they'll um they'll triage you there. So yeah, we were um we had you know, the the basic instructions that everybody gets is like you go to the hospital when your contractions are five minutes apart or when your water breaks. Mm-hmm. And um we got to and yeah, sometime pretty early on Sunday morning, the contractions were five minutes mm-hmm. apart and my water didn't break, but it was but we were kind of leaking. And so so I was like, eh, it's time to go. This yeah, I'm not I'm not comfortable with this anymore. We have to go get this checked. Uh, yeah, and and so that's uh, that's that's when we went in. And so, and I and I guess they check the heartbeat as part of just again the routine kind of assessment checks when you go when mm-hmm. you go in in labour. Yeah, and that uh, that must have been an incredible shock. Can you can you talk us through what happened when they tried to find the heartbeat? Yeah. Um, well, they did. You know, I, I got taken up and um, like they were asking me I, the things that they ask everybody like, oh, well, like, when did you last feel the baby move? And I'm like, I've been in labor. I can't tell you. I I don't know. I'm still um, having contractions. I'm having contractions. <laughs> it feels like she might be moving, but yeah. I, I don't know. Maybe maybe yeah. I'm wrong. Uh, and, you know, they do they do the thing where they're like, oh, well, you know, I think the first thing that the the first thing that the nurse that was checking me says like oh just moving too much to to find her is they're like moving the Doppler around trying to trying to figure it out, and uh, and then they do the thing where like oh this machine's not working and they get another cord and then like somebody else comes in and I remember I remember getting so angry like I I wasn't thinking I wasn't thinking yet actively anyway not consciously that something was wrong but I remember getting so mad like that they're like what is wrong with you why can't you find the heartbeat baby what are you doing why are you choosing this moment to hide again because she she had this weird history of doing this there had been you know three three times where where she'd hidden no one could find the heartbeat and then all of a sudden there she is and, and so I was just, I was so frustrated. And, uh, then, then the doctor comes in and like, as a, as a health professional in hindsight, I can completely see what was happening, but in the moment I'm just sitting there just getting angrier and angrier that, that nothing is going on. Um, and then they bring in the little portable scanner, um, and there's like two doctors and three nurses and Nelson sitting in the room. And I, I'm pretty confident Nelson had figured it out by then, but I have, I have not, or I am denying what is happening, I guess Mm -hmm. is probably more accurate. And they had the, they had the screen open so that I couldn't see it, but where Nelson was sitting, he could see it. And, um, they're moving the thing around and all of a sudden Nelson just like grabs my hand and his eyes start to well up and he just starts telling me that he loves me. And then, and that was when the doctor was like, I'm sorry, it, uh, there's no heartbeat. And, and I, I got this like gut punch in my stomach, like that jolt of adrenaline. And I, I also, I nearly laughed because I was, because I was like, are, are you joking? Like, like, what are you talking about? Uh, and then, um, and then I started screaming. <laughs> uh, and, uh, um, and I was actually at a point in time where I was, I was slapping my face, like insisting that I needed to wake up because I had had bad dreams about losing the baby too. And so I was convinced like, no, you're asleep. This is a bad dream. You just need to wake up. Um, 
And uh, relatively quickly, they took us to a private room uh, uh, so that we and we had to wait for the perinatologist to come and uh, confirm and confirm death. Um, And I remember as well when they were wheeling me over um, that I saw the first nurse that was triaging us and she was in tears as well. So. Um, yeah, and then we had to wait. Unfortunately, we had to wait like an hour before um, the the perinatologist could come up. And that was, and I'm insisting the whole time that it's going to be fine. And I'm having contractions. So it feels to me, like to me, I can convince myself that she is moving. Um, and so it wasn't until um, the, that the perinatologist, the doctor showed up and she uh, confirmed that that Winry had died. And actually, we didn't actually know it was Winry then. We didn't know uh, the sex of the baby um, the the whole time. Uh, and it, the interaction with the perinatologist is still the thing that really gets me mad because, honestly, she was awful. Um, she said, in, in the first 20 seconds, like that she's like scanning and confirming that my baby's died. She's like, yep, your baby died. Yep. There's no heartbeat. Um, you're going to have to give birth. You're going to have to have a postmortem in case you want to have another pregnancy. And so like she threw all of this information at me in 60 seconds and I'm sitting there being like, what are you talking? And just like, I think I started yelling at her that this was ridiculous and it was unreasonable and there's no way that I can give birth. There's no point. Um, that like this is this is dumb and I just need to go and you're all wrong yeah so but apart from apart from that that one doctor everybody else was great (laughs) oh my goodness and I mean it's not surprising that you must have been like your whole body and brain must have been in shock because and you're still going through labor I mean, yeah, and this I'm is in the, active labor you're in yeah. active labor and yeah. and just trying to process this um, yeah. I can't believe she threw all that stuff at you which is completely ridiculous anyway it, it really it really was and it's uh it's colored a lot of my thinking uh since then because you know especially like throwing out so much information about like needing the postmortem in case you're going to have to, because when she said, when, when you're going to have another pregnancy. And I was just like, and so, you know, uh, even, even four months on, it's a discussion that's come up with my obstetrician and things like that. So I, I no longer even know if, uh, whether or not I want to have another baby is actually my idea or not, because it was literally Mm. one of the first four things that I got told after my baby died. And it's, yeah. it's been really, really messy since then. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm so sorry you had that experience. I think it really does make a difference in terms of the healthcare professionals you come into contact yeah. with how, yeah. So I guess you, you did go through, well, you had to go through your body was already giving birth to her. Yeah. And how did it feel then when you first held her? It's magic. God, she's beautiful. Like it's, uh, it was amazing. Um, and I, I know some of your other, other guests have said this and, you know, I was absolutely one of the people demanding a C-section for my baby because I, uh, thought it was, um, ridiculously unfair that I had to go through labor and give birth and not get to take my baby home. Um, <laughs> and of course, you know, they, they, uh, told me that wasn't a thing. 
<laughs> not, <laughs> not something I'm that's, that's not actually a choice you're allowed to make right yeah, now. <laughs> not, not, not pre- preferably like you, you're going to do this uh, the traditional way. Um, and, and in the end, I'm so glad that I got to, um, because it was, it was amazing. Um, like the whole, the whole getting to the giving birth part was, was a huge mess because like, I'm no longer emotionally capable of coping with pain. They tried to put it in epidural. It came out. They had to do it in a second epidural. It came out too. Um, and so in, in the end, it was all, all very, very messy. Uh, but then Nelson was there the entire time being the most amazing birth coach that you could ever have asked for and I am so grateful to him for just holding me up when I had nothing I was you know and and I had been one of those people that was really nervous about the idea of getting an epidural because I'm I'm an antsy person I don't like the idea of being stuck in bed uh, and when I used to work on surgery units, you know, I, uh, most of my patients would have spinals and it was something that, you know, I, I would see a lot The people would be like, ah, I'm stuck. And it's, it's really making me anxious. And I was like, oh yeah, you know, that, that doesn't look good. Like maybe I don't want one. Cause we don't have, uh, at that hospital, we don't have walking epidurals. So like it's, if you get an epidural, you're stuck in bed, those are your choices. And so, um, I've been like, ah, maybe I don't want that and all this, that and the other, but yeah. And so that everything that I could have thought about my birth plan uh, went straight out the window because I just couldn't handle, I couldn't handle making decisions. I, I couldn't handle anything, anything about the situation. Um, um, But I had, I had Nelson there supporting me the, the whole way. And uh, when we, when we got her, Nelson, Nelson likes to point out that he saw her first. Um, so, uh, and so she, she showed up and, um, yeah, just, just perfect. Um, so tall, like, uh, like such a, such a tall baby, uh, and, um, with big, huge feet and, um, just, and, and no hair like, or, well, she does have hair, like, but it's so, it's so blonde that you really basically looks like she's got no hair. Um, yeah. And just these huge, huge wide set eyes, um, and this little, little perfect bow of a mouth. Um, just, just, and, and of course, like, of course I'm biased. She's my baby. So I'm looking at her and being like, yeah, well, this is a, this is the world's most perfect baby. Um, but, uh, but yeah, just, just amazing. And then, um, so we got to stay, we got to stay with her. Nelson, Nelson made them, uh, Nelson made them weigh her and measure her so that we could have like the little card. Uh-huh. Um, and, uh, and, uh, we got to, we got to give her a bath. Um, the nurses were just fantastic. And, um, and honestly, so was the doctor that, uh, that delivered, uh, that delivered her. It's a doctor that I had, had never met before. Um, and just they made I don't know if this sounds dumb or not, but like they like the the room is so silent when when you give birth to a stillborn baby. But all the doc but the doctors and the nurses all made 
like the right noises. Like they were like, Oh, she's beautiful. Oh my God. That's amazing. Oh, she's wonderful. Oh, do you want to hold? Like they, they treated her like a live baby. And that was so, that was so precious to us. Like that we, that we did get that. Um, and yeah, they wrapped her up and then they, they give her to me and I'm just, I'm just holding her. And I had, uh, some, some complications afterwards, but like, so stuff's going, so stuff's going on and I'm losing a lot of blood and things aren't going well, but I don't care because I've got my baby and it was just, just magical. Yeah, absolutely. I would do it all again. Yeah. I'm so glad you you had that good experience after that bad experience you had that good experience of care yeah. and that they supported you and did you spend a couple of days in hospital with her then yeah yeah home? they kept they kept me uh I kind of lose track of it because we were I was in labor overnight so and then I was in there an extra two days so I guess we spent three we spent three nights in in the hospital and they we had a cold cot um so she basically didn't leave the room with us um because everything's still on isolation because of the pandemic um there were some stuff like there weren't a lot of people coming in and out of the room which honestly was was really nice um you know because we we got to have a lot of privacy with her um the the bereavement team at um the hospital was absolutely stellar and, uh, and they, and they came and, um, they, they made little hand and foot casts of her. So we've got that. And, um, they made the footprints, but the, it was one of those things that like they had to take her away in order to do that. Um, because we weren't, a, like, we weren't allowed to go. Uh-huh. So, so, uh, but, but like, and they made little cards and like, they, they made us little wristbands for her and, um, and we had uh we had the a, a naming ceremony for her um and actually in the end um they they let like my my mom and dad um drove out from drove out from the coast when they found out what had happened uh cuz you know we sort of like made i sort of made a series of rather robotic phone calls to to let people know what was what was going on and like my mom jumped in the car and drove out here and then my dad came too and Nelson's sister drove up uh from southern alberta as well and um they uh they let them come in one at a time uh and everybody had to be masked and everything but um they they let them come in to to see her and to meet her and they didn't and they didn't have to they would they would have absolutely not been like they were not required to to bend the rules like that for us but but they did um and so they they let them come up and and meet winry and yeah um I remember, I remember having a, having kind of a, uh, a weird thought in the middle of all of this, like when this machine just kicks in to take care of us in the aftermath of losing our baby that I was like, Oh, this must happen a lot. <laughs> you guys are, you guys are really good at this. <laughs> well, that's, that's not a good thought. That's mm-hmm. upsetting. Like, cause yeah. Cause yeah. I, I mean, I, I had, I was not unfamiliar with baby loss, like with this, 
but like full term stillbirth was like a weird blind spot for me because mm-hmm. I I've had friends that have lost uh, that have had early miscarriages and you know some mem- a member of my family had had um, a, a relatively late miscarriage like after the point that that they had let everybody know and um, <clears throat> they're just there had been lots of stories circulating around uh, you know um, late like late term loss like if you don't have your baby. Uh, like after, I think it's after 40 weeks, your chances of stillbirth start going up like relatively, relatively quickly after 41 weeks, something like that. And so, so I, I knew about all of these things and, and like, I knew about, uh, I, I knew about like losing babies, like before 26 weeks. And we have another set of friends that actually had had a preemie who they lost as well. So they had a neonatal death. So I, I feel like I knew all of these things. And, and I remember both Nelson and I, kind of felt like we were holding our breath through the majority of the pregnancy. And like each time we would hit like another, like another prenatal appointment or another kind of, kind of milestone and get good news back, we'd be like, okay, well then that's the next one. Mm-hmm. We'd be like we got to, we got to 12 weeks, but like, I'm like, eh, okay. Like we, it, but it's not, it's not for sure. It's not for sure. And then like we get to 20 weeks and there was nothing on the scan to, to indicate that there were problems. I was like, yeah, okay. But you know, like we're not at 26 weeks yet, which is where we consider viability in, in Alberta. And then we got to 26 weeks and I'm like, yes, but you know, these things can happen. And then I remember getting to 37 weeks and Nelson was still using like ifs. So a lot of the time. And I, I remember saying like, you know what, like we really got we've really got to just face that we are, that we are bringing this baby home. And that statement haunts me because it felt like the second that I turned my back on her, she was, and started worrying about me and what I was going to do in the hospital, um, that, uh, that we lost her and it, uh, yeah. So it's, a it's, it's been, it's been really weird and it's, it's still so, it's still so early. Um, it it feels like a million years since it happened and and also that it happened yesterday um a lot of the time yeah yeah and so you did have to go home without her and Mm. grieve your daughter while the rest of the world was focused on this big pandemic thing going on yeah how did you feel or did you feel like the the pandemic and all this external stuff affected how you grieved and the support you got in those kind of early weeks oh absolutely um part of part of feeling like she's the baby that that didn't get anything you know she she got her baby shower changed to like a zoom call and then um she's the baby that didn't that didn't get a proper funeral because that wasn't something we were allowed to allowed to have. Um, we had her, we had her cremated. Um, and so, you know, we, we brought her, brought her ashes home and, um, and like no one's, no one was allowed to come over. We, everybody was still self-isolating. Um, my, my friend group, uh, did a fantastic thing for us where they organized, um, organized themselves and just started dropping off food. Like, every two days somebody else would show up with with like another pot of chili or a casserole or or something like that so luckily we didn't have to um we didn't have to think about eating which was great um but yeah i mean all of those all of those normal supports that you that you might get you know with people coming by um you know you, you can even hug people like we still can't we, we still can't hug people um 
but yeah, like people weren't allowed to be together. Um, and I, yeah. And it, it contributes to this feeling of her being kind of almost immediately forgotten. And it, it really, it really bothers me. Um, that, that she's such, she's such a big part of my, my story and her story is kind of getting lost in the middle of, you know, a, a pandemic and a, a, a civil war and, uh, in the United States and, you know, all, all of this other junk that's, that's happening and is super important, but also like my baby, um, could we please talk about her sometimes? Yeah. Yeah. That must be incredibly difficult. And, mm-hmm. um, I mean, there's nothing, there's nothing I could say to make no. that better. It's just a really crappy situation. Yeah, yeah. no, yeah. Um, I, I do yeah. feel, I do feel quite lucky because um, I've got a couple um, really close friends and we organized um, a, a couple weeks on, we organized like a, like a backyard um, ceremony where we all mm-hmm. wrote and read something about, you know, about about her or about like my pregnancy with her and the things that we had done, because, um, I really start, I really wanted to have some like positive memories of, of being pregnant and, and like, pregnancy was difficult for me, um, as, as a, as a non-binary person, because mm-hmm. you start getting, start getting the bigger boobs and like very, and, and everybody's like, look at the pregnant, look at the pregnant lady. Like I'd, I'd get that uh-huh. a lot and I'd be like, oh, it's okay. I feel uncomfortable about this. Uh, and, and like part of that is also that I avoided taking um, photos basically while, while I was pregnant. So I also don't have a lot of photos um, of, of her and I together. And that's, that's difficult for me as well. That's, um, that's one of my, that's one of my regrets is that I didn't spend more time embracing my pregnancy. I, I was waiting, I was waiting to meet her. I was waiting until she got here. Yeah. And I, I mean, I, I had a similar thing with mine in terms of regretting not enjoying that pregnancy more. And yeah. And I hope you don't mind me asking, but did you, feel so obviously that you've you've got all these changes going on to your body which you're not quite comfortable with during pregnancy how have you felt as your body's adjusted back after pregnancy I mean I for example I know certainly for the first few weeks I was like I don't I don't want my belly to shrink I don't want my body to go back because it's almost like while it's here I can still cling to the fact that she's there even though I know she's not almost and I hated my body for shrinking and going back but how how what how did you feel did that was that even a thing for you no that I was very I was uh I was very resentful of um of not looking pregnant anymore um I barely looked pregnant when I left the hospital like after after giving birth to her I remember like looking at myself and being like what what the hell is this where is my belly where's my bump and um, just like so again, like getting getting thrown thrown for a loop again. And there was a, there was a while where um, I would feel better if I like put on a big shirt and then stuffed stuffed her blanket underneath um, because we I, I kept her blanket from from the hospital obviously, and I would like stuff it underneath my shirt and be like, ah, okay, this is more comfortable with the belly. I feel better. Um, yeah, and so it's. 
it's hard. Like it's, it's nice to, especially now at this point, feel like uh, physical activity and particularly running is, is getting, getting easier again. And um, you know, that, that part's, that part's good. Um, but yeah, losing, losing the, losing the bump was hard because the bump was like a weird defense mechanism against, against sort of my, my gender dysphoria. Um, I, I, I talked to another one of my friends who's also a gender queer and, and is pregnant. And, um, we were talking about, okay, like if there was a moment that if there was a thing that was going to like convince us whether or not, uh, we are like actually women or or trans people or not it's going to be the pregnancy thing and both of us had the same experience with pregnancy being like oh this is a cool thing that my body can do but man this nope this does not make me feel more female or anything like that so uh having the bump was really awesome because mm-hmm. that um i don't know that the bump made me feel good i i liked i liked my bump a lot Mm-hmm. And so it's it is it is a thing it is a thing that I miss as my body basically resumes its its former its former shape, um, yeah. and and going back is tough. Yeah, yeah. And I but I do know that you have been doing various things over the past few months to remember Winry and and perhaps to sort of go through some of that grief journey. I've seen lions popping up, yeah. custom cake baking and running. Do you want to talk to <laughs> some of those things which you've been doing to kind of keep her in your life? Um, so the lion thing um, was a bit a bit of an accident and um, kind of, uh, I think I ended up, I think I end up needing to give credit to my mum. When I was a baby, I had a stuffed lion and um, so something my mom sent me in advance of when we were being born was a stuffed lion for her. Um, and just as things were going, and the stuffed lion is is easy to draw. It's got, it's basically a circle uh, with like a little mane on it and then a little cartoon cat face. Um, and I started, I, I, I started drawing, the first one I drew was um, to go on top of her box that, that we keep her memorial stuff in. Um, so that was the first, first line that, that I drew was on there. And then I started drawing them, um, at, uh, places that I would run around the city. So in the end, I put together like a little paint kit, uh, where I, I run around and if I'm at a spot that I particularly like, or if I see a, see a, a post or a rock that I think that I can hide one on, um, I'll, I'll paint, I'll paint a little, I'll paint a little lion there. And so now I can go out running, uh, and I can visit my various Winry lions, um, around, around the city. Uh, so I can see, I can see that. And that's, I don't know, that, that just, that just makes me feel better running something I did while, while I was pregnant. And now she's still there with me on, on some of my favorite, favorite running trails as well. Um, it, we, we took her, uh, we actually took her to the mountains. Um, we did a weekend away, um, and, you know, we took her little urn and her little urn fits really nicely in the cup holder of our car, <laughs> which, which we thought was sort of both, both sad and, and hilarious as well. Uh, and so we, uh, I painted a couple lions when I was out there too. And we scattered some of her ashes um, out at a pass, uh, which was really, really difficult to do. But I, w- I was glad that, glad that we did. And you know, s- slowly we're, making sure that we we keep 
everything got put on hold, of course, like when she died. And so there were things that we were saving for her um, that that we didn't know what to do with. And and slowly we're trying to uh, incorporate them back in. And for example, like we had uh, we had a bottle of wine that we were saving for uh, when she when she came home and then we were looking at it, we didn't know what to do with it. So we took that with us on, on our trip and we made sure that those things were still for her. Um, because I, they're still hers and, and she still deserves to have those things and, and to have, and to have her space. Um, the bake, the baking thing, um, is, uh, is fun. So I've got this really, um, fancy looking cake recipe book. Um, but the recipes inside it almost invariably fail horrifically. Uh, <laughs> there's just something, there's just something wrong with almost all of the recipes. Like I've, I've, I think the pavlova one turned out, but then I was like, is this even really a cake? I don't know if you can call a pavlova a cake. I don't think that's fair. Um, and so I've decided that every couple of weeks I'm going to do another recipe from the book because I've always baked when I was little, my mom used to make like extravagantly shaped cakes for all of our birthdays. And I always saw myself baking um, with baking with my child. And um, the first time that I made a cake uh, after after she died was actually for my mom's birthday. And I remember just, it was such an emotional experience. And I was bawling my eyes out the whole time. So I, I wanted to remember Winry more actively. And so I'm baking her, I'm going to be baking her 26 cakes over the course of the, over the course of the next and year. And some of them might work. And some of them, oh, all of <laughs> some of them don't work at all. There was one that we made, there was this purple layer cake. I think it was the third one that I made. And it was just, it looked pretty, but it was the most atrocious cake. Like it tasted like a bad pancake, like raw flour i'm like who came up with this recipe it's pretty though so that's great yeah, yeah maybe so. it was a book for looks rather than taste the, foot, I, the, the photography in that book is amazing um, <laughs> that's, that's for sure brilliant. that's for yeah. sure yeah oh and i love i love the fact that you you know you've got all these lines about and i just i can imagine like other people coming across them and particularly kids i think because they might be sort of down Ground, ground level and they discovering are, them yeah, going, oh, kind of the what's this lion I wonder you know I wonder who put there and even though they might not know Winry or know it's associated with Winry that they'll see it and they'll you know yeah. they'll be thinking mm-hmm. she's out in the world and that's yeah that's what that's what I that's what I had wanted for her is for her to get out and see things and so we're I'm still trying to like put her put her out in in places that I imagine we would have gone yeah yeah well we are I'm afraid we are out of time I feel like we can talk mm-hmm. about it for a lot longer but Sorry. would you like to finish by telling people where they can connect with you online yeah if you uh if you want to hang out and see some pictures of pretty cakes that uh may or may not taste good on uh and my questionable art ability uh creating lions <laughs> um you can find me on instagram it's a l dot dot niwa so e-l-l-e-d-o-t period N-I-W-A. Fantastic. Thank you so much for coming onto the podcast, Lee, and sharing Winry's story. It's been fantastic chatting to you. Yeah. No, thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to this episode of Footprints on Our Hearts. Please help me break the silence around baby loss by sharing the podcast with your friends and leaving a review on iTunes. You can follow me on Instagram at Footprints on Our Hearts and Twitter at Sky's Footprints. 
For detailed show notes and to support the podcast and help me raise money for Tommies, please visit our website, footprintsonourhearts.com.